I would encourage you to take out your outlines. If you have your outlines, I want you to open them up. And we're going to wrap up a very, very important series, friends. Very important. In the last five weeks, we have been looking at a series, how to be a Christ follower effectively in a selfie-centered world. And we're looking at confronting our culture. Therefore, this series is going to have an edge. It's going to be, and depending upon how worldly your viewers become, the more pushback you're going to feel. We talked about there were only three basic worldviews. The first one was hedonism. We talked about hedonism. And that is summed up with pleasure is all important. Whatever gives me most pleasure, that's what I'm going to devote my life to. Hedonism. We talked about that. And then we looked at materialism. And that view says possessions is what my life is really all about. I work for them. I clean them. I maintain them, I insure them, I speculate with them. And then the third area we looked at was narcissism. And narcissism is all about pride. Look at my new kitchen. Look at my car. Look at my degrees. Look at my possessions. I must be worth something. Because of my valuables, friends, your valuables have nothing to do with your real value. Nothing. And in position, look what I do for a job. Pride in all those things, which Marty wrote out. I'm all that's important. That's narcissism. Now, they are not new philosophies in this world because God talks about them extremely clearly in his word. And this is one of the first scriptures that, on your outline that Marty just wrote, but I'm going to pull mine from the ESV. Look at this carefully. Do not rush over this. This is sobering. For all, look at that word, that second word, all. That is, ex, that is an extreme word. For all that is in the world, what's he talking about? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So he's drawing an enormous distinction. The world and the Father. Nothing to do with each other like this. The key word in hedonism is to indulge. If it feels good, oh, baby, I'm going to do that. Materialism. The key word there is increase. Increase, 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 increase. Actually, you descend into greatness in the kingdom of God. It's not what you've got, it's what you give. It's not how much service you get, it's how much you serve. You descend into greatness, just like Jesus stepped off the epitome of the pinnacle of power, and he stepped down into the earth. And he lived a life as a servant. You descend into greatness. The phrase, the key phrase in narcissism is, I want to impress. I want to impress with how I dress or how I decorate. You name it. And I'm all that matters. Now, these three temptations are basic. And Satan has used these from the get-go. 
But, and Satan has used him from the beginning. Remember Adam in the garden through the same three temptations. In Matthew 4, 4, same three temptations he tried to throw at Jesus. You can read about those in Matthew 4, 4. Now, how do you live in a world like that without being controlled with those kinds of attitudes? How do you do that? Today I'm going to give you four brief strategies on how to live in the world without living like the world, which is exactly what Jesus said, salt and light. Useless if salt loses its saltiness. Four strategies how to live in the world. Number one, I'm just going to briefly touch on them and drill. Number one, evaluate everything. Test everything. In other words, in living in the world without being infected by it. Test everything. Everything. Second, develop transformative biblical conviction. Transformative. It has got to change you or you may never, you might as well not have heard it. Transformative biblical convictions. And the Bible teaches us we need to develop very strong convictions. Three, love God with all of your heart. Not half of it, not a tenth of it, all of it. And then four, influence others for good by our transformed lives rather than you, your, um, you being influenced by others. Right. Now, first point. You cannot do the last three without getting the first one right. You've got to do the first one. And it's the first strategy is you have to test everything. You need to question. Some people don't like being questioned. It puts them on the defensive. You need to challenge and assess popular opinion. And that will make you unpopular, by the way. Encourage your kids to do this, your grandkids, when you're watching TV. Test it. Or show what values are being promoted here. Test those things. Where do we get that from? 1 Thessalonians 5. The Bible clearly says these are God's words. Test everything. Don't just swallow it. Hold on to good and avoid evil. Hold on to good and avoid evil. What defines good is attached to God. God is the only one that gets to define good or bad, good or evil. He's the one. So hold on to good Avoid evil. What does that mean? Does it mean to test some songs? It means to test every song. Sure. TV programs, yeah. Novels, yeah. Magazines, yes. Movies, you betcha. Because most of those don't pass the test. Does that mean you ought to evaluate talk hosts? Absolutely. What worldview are they promoting? Radio psychologists, absolutely. Preachers, you betcha. You better check those to make sure they align with God's word. Because there's a whole bunch of junk being promoted on the airwaves. And a lot of the media is completely off base. So, to test something, any of you engineers know, to test something, you need to have a standard to test it against, to see if there's a variance. What is the place we go to for our standard? It is the word of God. It is the standard of evaluation. We use that to evaluate everything. Is it right or is it wrong? How do we know? Check the word of God. Is it true 
or is it false? Word of God. That joker there that you just heard say, there is no God. What does the Bible call him? A fool. The Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's the truth. Not politically correct, but it's biblically correct. The fact is, you will either base your life on the word of God, or you'll base your life on the world. And the Bible teaches that we're in a battle between the word and the world. Here it says here, the truth is, although we live normal human lives, the battle we are fighting is on the spiritual level. You need to circle that. Because there's a big mistake I found in, 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 with a lot of Christians. They either completely minimize the spiritual battle, yeah, poo-poo it, or they OTT on it and they're seeing a demon under every rock. Two extremes, both mistakes. Our battle, what is our battle? It tells us, is to break down every deceptive See, deception, it kind of looks okay on the surface, but there's something a bit funky about it. To battle is to break down every deceptive argument and defense that men and women erect against the true knowledge of God. He says we're in a battle for the minds of men and women because there were deceptive arguments, and people often construct mental defenses to keep God out of their lives and Him interfering too much in their lives. See, the true believer thinks through implica the implications and asks, what is the end result of living for pleasure? What is the end result of living for just possessions? Actually, you just have to go to Jesus. He tells you. He tells you what it is. Do you know what it is? Do you communicate that to those around you? Do you live like that yourself? What is the end result of just living for yourself? And true believers see through that fallacy, those fallacies, and they see the emptiness, that it's a completely myopic way to live. The Bible says, use your mind. Evaluate, test everything, and don't automatically accept what the world says. Second strategy, to live in the world without living like the world is to develop transformative biblical convictions. And the thrust behind this is if you do not stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Good habit to get your kids into. Early on in life, encourage them to make decisions and stand by them. People who made the greatest impact in their lives and with their lives, are people who live by conviction rather than convenience, what's easy. The people who make the greatest changes in the world are not the smartest or the wealthiest or the most educated, but they are the people who've got the deepest convictions. You need to develop strong convictions to counteract the culture because that culture, there is a pressure that pushes you a certain direction. How many of you here today would agree there's great pressure in culture to conform? Would anybody agree with that? Yeah. To a large degree, the expectation of others determines how we dress, how we talk, how we eat, where we buy, how we spend our money, and how we spend our time. 
And we are constantly pressured by the culture around us. And the number one question then is, what will other people think? Colossians 2.20 has something to say about that. With Christ, not with the world, with Christ, you have died dead. No heartbeat, no attraction to. When you're dead, there's no attraction to anything. You have died to the elements of this world, worldly desires. With Christ, you've died to those desires. Then he sort of like goes, Hoy, then why do you let others dictate to you? The fear of man's a trap, another verse says. There are so many people who base their self-worth off the opinions of others and the approval of other people. Here's how I think. If God accepts you, and it proves you, what does it matter what other people think? The Bible says don't let other people dictate or direct your lifestyle. He says there in that verse, following Christ sets you free from the expectations of others, and that is real freedom. If God likes me, that's all that matters. Romans 12, 2. Do not or don't let the world squeeze you. Feel the pressure? Squeeze you into its own mold. But, on the other hand, let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. In other words, the things that you once used to chase and have the affections of your heart no longer have a pull. Then about you, but before I married Kimberly, there were other women. <laughs> and they had a pull on my life, on my heart. The moment I got married... Those other ones, I think, what the heck was I thinking? That was the attitude in my heart. Same for God. Have you ever felt squeezed by the world? Maybe you're at high school or at work. God says, don't let the world squeeze you. Living for the approval of others is a guarantee for stress with a capital S. How do you handle it? How do you keep from being pressured by peers? How do you keep culture from causing you to conform? How do you do that? Well, you need some perspective and you need God's perspective because he will tell you clearly, if you're listening to him, there's far more to this life than here and now. We, on the other hand, are the now generation and we want everything immediately and we want instant gratification. And God says the antidote is to, to that is to take the long view and look at it in the light of eternity. So you go, great, where is that, Pastor Ian? Here's an next verse. First John, very important verse, 2.17. The world, here it is again, and its desires will pass away. But, contrast, the one who does the will of God lives forever. saying all of this is temporary. Why are you giving your lives to this? It's temporary. And the point is this. Our popularity and possessions and position and pride were selling your soul for. Jesus said, what does it profit a man? What does it profit a woman? If they gain the whole world, but lose their soul, it is possible to do that. 
very possible because broad is the way. On the other hand, this is the one that does the will of a God abides forever. Jim Elliot, very famous missionary, couldn't say it any better. said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. Popularity, possessions, position, pleasure, for that which he cannot lose, eternal life. So evaluate everything. Two, develop strong, transformative. They must change the way you and I behave. Biblical convictions. And the third strategy to live in the world without living like the world is this. Choose to love God with all of your hearts. I want you to get that down, and then I'm going to drill in. This next verse is too important to rush over. Choose to love God with all your hearts. Look at this next verse. 1 John 2.15. This is no good news. Do not love the world. There it is. Very strong. Nothing unclear about that. Or anything that belongs to it. Whoa. That's different. If you love the world... You do not have the love of the Father in you. Oh, I'm feeling very nervous about now. If you have the love of the world, if you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. His love is a tack on to your life. That's a very strong statement for a very big problem. What is, what's he saying? Don't love the world. He's not saying don't love the people of the world. He's not saying don't be unfriendly, or don't be friendly, excuse me, to unbelievers, because why? Famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that's the people. So we are to love the people in the world exactly the same way that God loves the world. But he's saying don't love the world's values. He's saying that, you know, those ones that pleasure is everything. Possessions is everything. I'll give my life to those. Empower. Read my job. Read my possessions. It's what we've been talking about the last five weeks. What he's really saying is you cannot have a divided heart. You cannot have divided loyalties. You cannot love God and love what the world loves at the same time. To say that would be deceptive because Jesus never said that. Those affections are mutually exclusive. And the point is this, God wants my full allegiance, and he wants your full allegiance. And he wants me to love him with all of my heart. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. there's a great commandment. When Jesus said, I can summarize the whole of the Old Testament in just a verse. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Notice the common word. Not a divided heart. The problem is with many believers, 
they want to love God with whatever they've got left. Whatever time they have left. Whatever talent they have left after it's been spent on everything else. They want to love other things, in other words, before God. And that's not the love way real love works. Can you imagine that if I proposed to Kim and said, Hey, honey, I want to marry you, and, um, but I'm going to make you a deal, you lucky woman. I'm going to give you half of my time. The other half, my heart's going to go to other women. Would you be happy with that? She'd knock me flat. <laughs> out of here, buckles. And no good woman should ever put up with that. Not allowing a rival into the relationship. Or how about this? I said, you know what? Um, I will be faithful to you um, every Sunday morning, but I need the rest of the week for me. I'll give you a few hours. If you ask me to do any more, I might gripe a bit, but I'll probably give you an hour or two Friends, partial faithfulness is not faithfulness at all. You may want to write that down. Unless I am being faithful all the time, I am not being faithful. That's what he's saying here. He's saying God wants my whole heart. The fact is God has promised over and over in the Bible, he loves us unconditionally. And he loves us completely. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Where have you gone? And he says, I want the same commitment from you. James 4.4. 4. Now this is Jesus' brother speaking. After he really, really got this. And you can feel it in them. He, he's, he's holding nothing back. He says to the people here, you are like an unfaithful spouse shacking around never realizing that to be the world's lover means becoming an enemy of God in other words somebody shacks around with my wife they become my instant enemy James says even a believer can become an enemy of God have you ever read that before how by loving the world which is his declared enemy the values that the world pursues. God is a term for believers who allow other things to become more important than their relationship with God. He calls it spiritual adultery. That's what he calls it. Strong words for a very tough problem. Spiritual adultery. And millions of so-called believers commit it all the time. How? By being far more interested in their positions, far more interested in their position, far more interested in their pleasures. They're saying, yes, of course I want a relationship with God, but my heart, my time, my energy, my money go to the things that I think are important to my values. And God calls that spiritual adultery. Have you ever seen lovers turn into enemies because of adultery? Oh, I have. It's serious business, and it breaks God's heart. 
That's why that point is I need to love God with all of my heart. Once upon a time, I lived 330 miles away from my fiancé. I was in a God-forsaken place called Palmerston North. It was freezing. And I would get, the highlight of my week would be when I got, listen to this, a letter, a handwritten letter that would come in the mail from my darling bride. And I would get that, and I'd grab myself, something to warm myself up, normally a cup of Milo, and I'd rip into my room, shut the door, make sure my flatmates were gone, <laughs> and then I would read that. And I would take great delight in reading that letter. Because I loved her. Now you imagine, if I told everybody in Palmerston that I loved my wife, but the letters just kept piling up and piling up and piling up, and I never read them. There'd be something dissonant going on. I need to love God with all of my heart. Nobody forced me to go read those letters. It was an issue of the heart. Rather than being influenced by the world, the fourth strategy to live in the world without living like it is to influence others for good by our transformed lives. If your neighbor, if my neighbor, looked at my house, would they know anything was different? Apart from I get up at five o'clock in the morning, I drive out the drive at quarter to six, and I'm off to work, whatever it may be. Everybody is either a thermostat or they're a thermometer. And you know the difference. A thermostat sets the environment. A thermometer just reflects the environment. And God says, I want you to influence others and to do good rather than being influenced. Philippians 2.15. You, that's you and me, are to live clean, clean, let me say it again, clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world. See the contrast. Shine out among them as beacons of light. Where's the difference? Holding them out. To them, here it is, the word of life. Do you hold out the word of life to anybody in your life? I used to tell my friends some of the details about the letters I used to get, some. <laughs> but let me tell you, I wanted to share it. They could see it in my face. That was happy. <laughs> they had a sense of being loved and being able to love back. Like the star stands out in the dark night, that's how different my life is to be as a Christian, not blending in to the world. There's a contrast. My lifestyle needs to be a bright contrast. You're the light of the world, Jesus said. Light dispels darkness. It just doesn't sit there. It pushes back against darkness. And the point is this. God wants to make an impact with your life in the lives of others for good. How do I do that? By sharing the good news. Where have you been? Do you want to just make your way up? 
And in John 17, verse 15, Jesus said this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them and send me into, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Ben's just going to share something. Come on up, Ben. So um, a few weeks ago, I was just catching up with a friend from Sydney, and, um, and we're just having dinner, like no agenda, just catching up for dinner. And it was amazing to just watch him. Um, and he, he comes here for regular business trips. And he, on the side, he's also an associate pastor, but doesn't get paid. But his full-time job, he, he's an entrepreneur um, developing a million-dollar app for Westpac. And, but on the side, he's also a pastor. But just catching up, you know, just you know, sharing with each other. But we're in, in a Vietnamese restaurant. And, and just to see him switch, not switch gears, it was so natural. He was just having conversation with, with uh, a waitress that, that, you know, were, that was serving us really well. You know, and we were just, the conversation was going good, you know, and, and I was like, and towards the end of, of the, um, the dinner, when she, she came over to give us the bill, we actually, he actually shared the gospel with her. We spent an hour um, sharing gospel. It was 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> he, he works 10-hour days when he's here. And, and, but he took the time because he, he, he felt that she had had a need, and, and just to see that happen naturally, it wasn't just, it wasn't like you know a scripted or anything. Mm. He found the entry point in her life because she through conversations through the night, he found that she's you know a student here, and um, that you know she doesn't think like a, a typical Vietnamese. She feels out of place in her own home back home and when she's here in New Zealand she, she feels quite different and so he found an entry point and, and it didn't feel forced it didn't feel scripted and and so it was amazing to see and, and, and challenged by it myself because I was like uh, maybe you need to you know slowly build that relationship this this happened within a, a snap of a night you know we didn't have the agenda of go up to evangelize it was more just we're catching up for dinner and he just saw the moment mm-hmm. and he he jumped on it and it didn't need to be, you know, he covered everything. We, co- we, we followed up with her, and, and now she's going to a church in the city, you know. And, and it, it's just that smaller moments, being willing to put yourself out of your comfort zone, you know. I, I was, myself, I was there, well, okay, I, I probably need to be a bit bolder. I know I have a few people I'm talking to, but I'm, like, taking my time with it because I'm, like, I don't want to be too awkward about it. But it's, it's not, it's, I think sometimes we need to push ourselves Mm. Beyond what we're comfortable, good, you know, and so real, so I just hope that story just encourages us. That's great, thanks, man. That's the point. There's a, I don't want to point in a myth. Well intentioned, but it's a myth. The problem is, it used to be years ago. Well, you just got to befriend people all the time. The trouble with that is, you can befriend and befriend and befriend. Next minute, weeks turns into years, and you still haven't shared the good news with them. At some time, you need to. Aim, and you need to pull the trigger. You need to share with them the word of life. Doesn't matter. Pray and ask God to show you, because otherwise, who will you share the word of life with? When you became a believer, and you put your faith in Christ, you became an ambassador of, for God in this world. His spokesperson. And he wants other people to know about the greatest news in the world. And he says, I want to use you to influence others. Now let me say this. Summarize what we've been saying for the past five weeks. And we'll wrap it up. How does a Christian live in a culture that many ways and nearly every way is the exact opposite of what God tells us to do? 
The answer is not, well, pull away and be isolated, which means get away like some Trappist monk and, and don't have any contact with the rest of the world. The answer is not imitation. You buy into the things that the world is doing and you become like them, you talk like them, and you have the same values. The solution is insulation, not imitation. When I, in the summer, go out and catch a snapper in the harbour golf, in the Hariki golf, I go out and we grab them, we pull them in, skin gut them, fry them in the, in, in, the, in, in the frying pan. But before I go to eat it, without exception, I have to do something very strange. I have to put salt on that snapper. Now, if God can keep a fish, like a snapper, in salty water all of its life, Without getting salt in the fish, he can keep a believer from getting corrupted by the society without becoming corrupted. That's called insulation. So God says, in summary, you need to test everything. Before you take that next direction, before you take that next deal, before you take that next job, check against God's world and evaluate it. Second, develop. Some transformative biblical convictions that will hold you strong. Three, love God with all of your heart. Not one seventh. And influence others by your transformed life. Have you ever thought that you may be the only person in your office that can share the word of life with those people around you? If not you, who? Who's going to share the good news with them? So that's a summary. Here's the challenge. What on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Is the goal for you just to follow and fellowship with other Christians? If that's the case, why doesn't God just take you? What in the world is he leaving here you, you for? It's to make an impact. It's to influence. It's to infiltrate, to share God's love with the world that so desperately needs it. The world is messed up. And if you were to die tonight and stand before God in heaven, and he was asked to you, why would I allow you into heaven? You'd rightly answer because I've accepted Jesus Christ. I know I can't earn my way into heaven I've put my faith in Christ and trusted him for my salvation. That will be correct. And God would say, come on in. But there's another very important question. What if you were to stand before God today and he would say to you, I know you're a believer and I know that you've trusted in me, but my question to you is this. Who are you bringing with you? Who have you shared the word of life with? Who's going to be in heaven because of you? And if you can't immediately think of somebody that you shared the word of life with, I'd say you've got some work cut out for you, as do I. I'm not satisfied, and I shouldn't be satisfied. I spent an hour this week with an unchurched person, and we got to the gospel. That's one. It's okay. Barely a D minus. Barely. What else am I here for? Mow lawns, cut hedges, paint fans, put new windows in houses. God does not want you to come into heaven empty-handed. 
he'd say, hang on, Ian, you had all the good news, all of it, who did you tell? And as Christians, I've got to tell you this, we have the greatest news in the world. We've got the way to eternal life. We've got the Jesus who gives that life. We've got Jesus who gives forgiveness and meaning and purpose. And the answer, oh, by the way, to boot, to the problems people are experiencing in the world today, in their marriages and families. Friends, the world is far more ready to receive than we, most Christians, are ready to share. God says, share the word, Titus 2. For the free gift of eternal salvation is now being offered to everyone. Are you playing a part in sharing it with everyone? And along with this gift comes the realization that God wants us to turn from godless living. That means pursuing the junk and the temporary myopic goals that the world pursues and living simply um, for sinful pleasures and living instead a good God-fearing lives day after day after day. That's what his desire is. Christianity, friends, is something far more than you just believe. It's got to come out in the way that you live. Or is there a difference? The question really comes down to this. Does God have your whole heart? In Revelation 2, 2 and 4, Jesus rebukes some Christians. These are Christians. Saying, well, you're not out there in gross immorality. You're reasonably doctrinally sound. But he said, this one thing I have against you. And this is Jesus speaking. You don't love me the way you used to love me. Very convicting verse. Humbling verse. Could God say that about me? Could he say that about you? That you've lost your spark? That you don't have that thrill, that sense of being in love with God like when you first became a Christian. Everything was so new and fresh. But your relationship has, has almost mirrored other relationships where it's gone from Relationship to routine and rut. Subtly, what happens then is we start to allow other things to creep in and God is no longer at the center of your life. And other things get elevated in priority. Possessions and pleasures and positions read job. And he's being crowded out. Now when you're at work, you need to give your full dime's worth, your full pound of flesh, but there's got to be a boundary around that. Otherwise, it will dominate you. You want a relationship with God, but it's not the main thing in your life. It's kind of like a side business, a sideline. And it's so easy to become infatuated with the world. Friends, I'll let you into a secret. Most affairs start with complacency in your relationship. Then comes a compromise you start to give into these little things. And today there's no doubt in my mind that there are some of us in this room who are guilty of spiritual adultery. Strong words for a big problem. And God is in your life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You like him, but he's not number one. Other things have snuck in and taken precedence. And the fact of the matter is, we I deserve a divorce from God. He's got grounds for divorce because we've been unfaithful. 
But the good news is, is this forgiveness. And he does love you. Even though we are faithless, he remains faithful. All you have to do is say, God, I admit there's a problem. I want to put it right. Holy Spirit, help me to love you more. And he wants to rekindle that romance that he has with you. Take a long walk with God. Return to him. Confess your compromises and say, God, I know what I need to do. I just need to do it. Let's pray. Just in your heart, would you say, God, I know I need to get back on track. I've let other things prioritize themselves. And in fact, actually, I have prioritized other things over you. Even in my time with you, even in the conversations, forgive me for ignoring you last week when you wanted to fellowship with me. And I was too busy. I was distracted with other things. Would you say, God, help me to test and evaluate the ideas and the experiences around me according to your word, not whether they are popular or not. Father, help me to love you with all of my heart. I'm sorry that I've, I've given you not even half. I've been very casual with you, almost flippant. Lord, I know that I've allowed other things to replace and crowd you into a very small corner in my life. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, help me. For whatever the remainder of the life that you've given me as a gift is left. To be an influence for good for your kingdom. To share the best news ever. And to realize that I'm an ambassador, I am a communicator for good or for bad of that good news. And that you put me here for a reason. Would you help me care enough to share with those people at school or work? Now friends, some of you here today, I want to say that this message has been for believers. And I realize that some of you haven't quite yet made your decision for Jesus Christ. And you've listened in on the conversation between me, God's Word, and other Christians. And I want to say to you that if you've not made your decision for Christ, I do not want you to be misinformed. If you choose to come to Christ, you will give up everything. Everything you've got. And then you'll never have had it so good. Because he takes it, he changes it, he uses it, he gives it back with new meaning, a new significance, a new joy. And life takes on a whole new hue, a new perspective, a new purpose. So if you today have never said yes to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the free gift of eternal salvation is being offered to everyone. What you need to do is say, Lord, I've done things wrong. I'm, I'm a sinner.
And I know that I can't fix all my mistakes, but I can accept the gift that you gave me. But along with that gift comes the realization that God wants us to live a different way. So if you've never opened up your life to Jesus, why don't you do that today? Just say, Lord, I realize the emptiness of living for possessions and pleasure, for power and position. does me no good in the end. It all vaporizes. I want my life to count for you. I give it to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said...